Check, check. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bragging on Jesus, November 2018. So we've got one, two, three, four, five of us here tonight. It's going to share just a little bit and brag on Jesus. And I'm going to get us started with a word of prayer. Our Father, Lord, you're totally awesome, Lord. Thank you for your word and thank you for... Uh, Lord, for all the blessings you give us, and this time of the year we're reminded, Lord, I'm reminded of, uh, uh, of the good news, the great joy that the angels came to share as it's getting closer to the Christmas season, Lord, and, and how uh, the shepherds got to see your glory, Lord, and then they went and shared it with others because you're so awesome, Lord, and help us to see tonight that you're so awesome uh, and, and from our words, Lord, and be glorified in what we say. We love you in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you can introduce yourself if you like. Yes, I would like to introduce myself. My name is Logan Pope. <coughs> I am here. <laughs> so here, here's what I try to do almost every time that I've gotten a chance to to speak at, at a bragging on Jesus is I like to talk about movies. Um, I love movies. I watch a lot of them. Chances are, if you could name a movie, I've probably seen it. Old, new, sci-fi, romantic comedies. I love. I just love movies. I love analyzing movies, and I love talking about movies. Um, and one of my my favorite movie quotes is. Um, let's see if you can guess what it's from. It's uh, young Ryan Gosling, and he says, "What." do you want? It's not that simple. Nope. What do you want? Daniel Gesserite is a notebook. And, I, and I, I think about this question. What do you want? And uh, it actually makes me think of another movie. That's the way my mind works. And so I go from one movie to the other. And this movie that, I, that it makes me think of is one I actually haven't actually watched, but I've seen. And it's called uh, The Stalker. Or just this is called Stalker, and and this this movie Stalker, I've I've mentioned it to, to people before. I haven't actually seen it again. I've just read about it. But the main theme of this movie is there's this room in this place called the Zone that when you step inside, you are given everything your heart desires, everything you ever wanted inside. And so the way the story goes is there's this character named the Stalker who is is leading these two two men to to the room that's inside the zone where they'll get everything that their hearts ever desired. He's convinced them to go, and some of the things that are described along the way is this post-apocalyptic city where lots and lots of, of decay and, and nuclear fallout has happened, and they get inside the city and in the zone, and they're having to duck through traps, and they're they're shot at and over and over again. And the closer they get, the more they start to talk about the room that's inside the zone. And they, they start to describe, well, wh why, why did you come? We, we put our lives in danger to come to this room to get what we want. And, uh, and one of the characters who's a writer um, talks about how he, he wants to find his inspiration. He wants to, to never lose that, that edge that a, that a writer needs in order to to continue to, to ride and to inspire others and to, to give new ideas. And the other is a professor, and he's kind of a little more cryptic. He doesn't really want to say what his, his goal is, the reason why he's going. <clears throat> and that, that ends up being a, a big plot thread in, in the movie. And, uh, and they get closer and closer, and we realize that the stalker actually has no intentions of going in at all. He's actually just leading these gentlemen here and the closer they get, the more um, cold feet they have about going inside. <clears throat> because over and over again, the stalker's language is always, you'll get what your heart's always desired. He never says anything good or bad about what's inside the room. All he can say is, once you're inside, you'll get everything your heart's desired. And as they come closer, they, they mention another character who... Uh, who had been inside before? His his name is Porcupine, and uh, they they all you need to know about Porcupine's story is he got inside and was given incredible amounts of money, 
walked outside and ended his own life. And they, they, they discuss, and Stalker is telling them the story about, about Porcupine, and they're trying to figure out just what it was because he had all the money in the world and walks outside and decides to end his own life. And as they get up to, to the, the room inside the zone, it's in this old abandoned warehouse looking building, the roof's like caving in and windows are busted out, and they get and they get to the edge of the room and that's when they decide they don't think they want to go in. Because what they realized was what they thought they want or what they said they wanted may not be what they actually wanted at all. And they found out that the porcupine guy, um, he, he had a sick brother. And what he thought he wanted was for his sick brother to be made better. He goes inside and gets all the money in the world and finds out that that's what he thought he wanted wasn't what he actually wanted. And this movie, it's kind of creepy, and, and that's a hard truth, but there's biblical truth in that. What people say that they want, what they say they, their heart desire, desires isn't always true. It isn't always what they think it is. For, for example, many Christians will know this to be true, this, uh, this passage in, in Matthew 13 where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And many Christians will say, that treasure, the kingdom of heaven, that's, that's Jesus to me. I wanna sell everything I have to go live for Jesus. And they say that, and may, maybe intellectually they know that to be true, that Jesus is the supreme treasure in all the world, and, and that's not just an opinion, that, that is a fact. And a lot of people intellectually know that to be true about Jesus, but their, their heart doesn't believe that. Internally, they, they, don't, they don't believe that to be true. And, and, and that's a scary thought. And the reason I bring all this up is what we, we have a really good way, a really good indication to know what our heart really, really does want. Jesus uses this language here. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So Jesus puts on this, this super amazing uh, illustration about, about a tree. And the outside of a tree, its fruit, its produce is an indication of what's going on inside the tree at the roots. And there's a relationship between what's going on at the roots and what's going on with the fruit. So he, he uses this language, and this isn't the only place here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 that he does this, but if there's bad fruit, bad roots. Good fruit, good roots. And so the fruit, if you don't already know this, is the, is the actions of your life. It's, it's the habitual, you don't even have to think about it. It's, the, it's the, the autopilot actions of your life. And when you start to examine those actions and the reason you do those things and how often you do them and what they are is a pretty good indication of what's going on in here. And so if those, those actions are fueled by selfish ambition, by, by pride, by sinful desire, the, the way the Bible talks is something's not right internally. The, the tree's bad, the roots are messed up. Now, if, if, if the roots are messed up, you can still pretend that you, you're having good fruit or you can still pretend that everything's okay or, or you desire what you say you should desire. If Christ is your greatest desire, you say that, um, but, but the fruit is the indication, people. And so we need to take a close examination of not just the actions we think about doing, but even the ones we don't even have to think about. The ones I, my first instinct whenever I wake up in the morning and, and there's not much going on up here because I'm not awake, but I'm still 
functioning, I'm still making choices, even subconsciously at, at, at the subconscious levels. We need to examine those closely because if that is bad fruit, something's not right in here. And, and that's the whole beauty of Jesus is he's all about what's inside. He's all about changing our heart's innermost desire to make it, taking it from something bad that really is a fear of ours and putting in something good, that's himself. He invites us to desire him and to be in a relationship with him where we can love him and grow in him. And, and, and because of, and as a result of that, when he's our heart's greatest desire, good fruit happens. What he says is good is gonna happen. And so that's, that's my, my thought for today is to let us closely examine not just regular actions, but, but all our actions, our subconscious even, closely to see if it's good fruit. And if it's not, something needs to change in here. We need to start pursuing Jesus. We need to repent. I'm gonna close in a word of prayer and then the next guy is gonna come up. Father, you are, you are good, you are, you are righteous, and God, you are powerful. And we know that you have the power to to save God by, by the sacrifice you've made through your son Jesus, shedding his blood on our, on our behalf. God, let us find our hope in nothing else. Let us find our, 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 our hope in you and you alone. God, help us to do that. We ask this in the name of your son Jesus, amen. Thanks, Logan. Um, my name is Robin Ayler, and uh, Logan, I want to kind of build a little bit on what you were talking about. Um, you know, we're, we're all born with uh, this hard drive. We're hardwired um, to be motivated. Uh, you know, our will and our goal is, is about ourselves. it's for ourself. And, um, but then my, what I want to talk to, to mainly is, is to believers today and, and to, to non-believers as well, but I want to focus on, on addressing believers. And once we, we come to Christ, um, it's like we, we still have the same hardware. You know, we still got the hands and feet and we still get sleep and wake up and go to work and eat and do all the same, same things we used to but we have a different operating system, right? And we have a different push at the bottom of our core. And um, what I wanna talk about today is a statement of purpose, all right? And uh, maybe encourage you to think about writing a statement of purpose, a mission statement, you might say, just a goal or a vision, maybe, maybe one line. Uh, uh, many uh, businesses and corporations, they have a mission statement. Some of them will have two. We'll have a real short one and then a real long detailed one. So to start off, I wanna read a few and see if you guys can guess whose mission statement or whose who's statement of purpose this is, all right? To enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. Somebody you know. Yeah. Their goal is to enable people and businesses throughout the world to realize their full potential. It's an internet company type thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this one, right? To start with, give you, this is Microsoft. Okay, okay. okay I think you're, you're gonna get it now. To give, okay, to give people the power to share and to make the world more open and connected. Oh yeah, that's one for Daniel there, okay to build the web's most convenient, secure, cost-effective payment solution. PayPal, PayPal that's right. <laughs> to organize the world's information and make it universally accept, accessible and useful. Wikipedia. What, who said Google? <laughs> Joe, okay. It's one-to-one-to-one, okay. Someone. To give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Something that President Trump does quite a bit. Twitter. Twitter. 
<laughs> All right. Okay, here's another one. To glorify God. If you want to shout it out before I'm done. To, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in, okay, come in contact with us, Chick-fil-A, all right. There's more, well, here's another one. I'm not gonna read them all, but to be the earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything they might want to buy online. And, okay, that's right, all right. Okay, so what might be a good statement of faith for believers? That's what I want us to be thinking. Think Chick-fil-A was good, yeah. But um, our, our goals have changed dramatically. And um, the Apostle Paul, interestingly, if you think about it as you're reading through some of his letters to some of the different churches, he, speak, he speaks in, um, in, in, in uh, short, almost uh, just... Uh, Statements of purposes almost. It's almost like he's talking in them. And then he'll say another one. And then he'll say another. It's a quotable things that, that seem to just uh, envelop what our goal should be as a Christian. And then again, sometimes we'll have long detailed ones. So we're going to look at a few of these. And uh, we'll see how many I get to here. There's a couple things I want you, us to look for. Two things that stand out to me that are a part of the statement of purpose that he keeps saying over and over, all right? Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he's kind of put saying, this is me. This is what, you know, I don't count my life of any value. Uh, nor precious to myself. So he's saying that something else is precious to him, right? There, he's found riches and, 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 you know, truth somewhere else. And he, so much that his own, work, own life is worth nothing, of no value. And then the second part of that is he, his goal is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So he sees the glory of God and the riches in Christ and he, he says to other people, look, isn't Jesus awesome? So basically, there's these two things going on. And what I see is many Christians, people that uh, claim to be Christians, and many probably are, but it's like, you know, I've come to Jesus. I've seen that he died and rose for, for me, and he secured my salvation. Now my mind is going, I'm on some, uh, another track. I, I, you know, Christ opened the door to the glories and the riches of, of everything, you know, of heaven through Jesus Christ. And now, now that the door's open, we, we don't just, you know, leave it there, but we want more of it. Okay, uh, let's look at another. Uh, Ephesians 3.8, to me, Paul says, though I am the, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay, so you got the, the riches that are unsearchable. Does that mean that there's no way we can find them? No. That means that I believe, they, they, that's right, there's always more. You never can search them all out. And so Paul knew that even for himself, his goal was to see more of the glory of God. He, he seen more than probably any man alive, and yet there was more that he hadn't seen. And so the second thing, again, was this was a part of his per, uh, per, statement of purpose was uh, to share with the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. All right. Um, so these two things should be a part of our statement of purpose. In Ephesians 1, we see a more detailed, and I think you'll see the exact same thing. Ephesians 1.17, and I'm going to change this as I read this passage and put some personal pronouns in it and just make a few little changes, and I'll emphasize those as I do and see if this doesn't sound like a good statement of purpose. This is my statement of purpose, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give me the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of my heart enlightened, 
that I may know what is the hope to which he has called me, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So all these riches are found in Jesus Christ. And, and so a, a, after we come to him and we see the glory of God in Jesus, and now the door's opened for all the other riches that he has to give us, do we just turn away? No. So, so these two things, it's seeing Jesus, seeing more of Jesus, and sharing. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a, a man and his, his, a young man, and his goal in life was to be married. And one day, the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen in his whole life came to him. Yeah, yeah listen real close, Joe. No. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, and she was the sweetest thing, and she loved him. And, and uh, immediately they fell in love. And, uh, and so his, he had reached his goal in life. And so he, had, he decided, well, I did that. I'm going to turn my eyes to other things and, and uh, focus on other things the rest of my life. Wrong, bad ideal, right? Who in their right mind would do something like that? I mean, this woman was the most beautiful he'd ever seen. And he had a chance to know her better and better and better for, for many years to come. And if he would have followed that track, he would find toward the end of his life that to him, she was way more beautiful even than she was when he first met her, right? And something else, all along his life, he would, he would brag on his wife to other people over and over, right? That's, so that, that's, that's what we should be doing as, as Christians, not to just meet Jesus and say, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, he died for me and secured heaven. I'm not going to hell. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get rich for myself or, or put my eyes somewhere else. No, bad idea. Who would do something stupid like that once you've seen the glory of God in Jesus, right? So Ephesians 3.17, he says it again. That you being rooted and ground in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that's Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So these are Christians he's talking to. And, and yet he's, he's saying, man, there's so much more for you. You know, pursue it. He, t- he says the same thing to the Colossians. I'll, I'll read this verse and then I'll close. In, in Laodicea, he says this, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right. So these two things should be a part of our our statement of uh, a purpose. And I'd encourage you to write one. I've wrote two out, a short one for me and uh, one of a couple hundred words. And I, I believe that they're going to change. And I'm going to edit them And as, as I see more of the glory of God. So here's just one that I can remember, okay? My, my goal is, is to, to see Jesus more beautiful today than I saw him yesterday. And to, to, to tell others, hey, look, isn't Jesus awesome when I see, when I see something great about Jesus? So um, let's pray. Father, you're awesome, Lord. Please show us your glory. Show us your beauty. And, and by your, your beauty, Lord, I mean your, your character, your, your attributes, who you are, your holiness, the glory of your holiness, Father. And all, 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 the, all your goodness. And uh, just I want to see you, see you more, Lord, and love you better. And as your word says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the, this, 
the Lord who is the Spirit, Lord. So help us to continue to seek to see more of the glory, your glory, so that we might be transformed and then to share it with others, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just couldn't handle all my awesomeness. All right, so we're still live, right? No, I'm trying to see. Like, it doesn't look. Well, I think. Is he back on now? Check it out. I turned the antenna cord. I got a Wi-Fi extender, so. Good show. Show wave. Okay. Hi guys. All right. So we're live? Yes. In five, four, three, three two, two, one. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Joe K. Espinoza, not to be mistaken by my awesome grandpa uh, that I am, was able to uh, get to know, Joe A. Espinoza. Um, so, anyways. Uh, without further ado, uh, I'm just going to add on to a little bit of, uh, well, I'm just going to kind of take a little bit of Robin's um, deal, <laughs> like, what is going on here? <laughs> just going to kind of add two Robins, I guess, in a little bit. And so we're going to, uh, tonight what I want to talk about uh, in, in, uh, during my uh, brag on Jesus moment is, uh, is youthful wisdom. And um, just give a few short examples of what that is. I'm probably going to botch this up just because normally preaching to a big group, I try to not go under 45 minutes. And so we're going to definitely, you guys better strap on your seatbelt. We're going to be here for a while. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 32. All right, we're going to read the whole thing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, we will go ahead and read a good portion of that. And so these three men stopped, and this is, um, if you don't know the backstory on this, Job um, has just lost everything. His friends have sat with him. They've uh, talked with Job. They've tried to get him to, um, uh, they've encouraged him to confess whatever sin he's got. And so um, at this point, Job has not confessed anything. As a matter of fact, um, he has uh, kind of just protected uh, his name uh, and defended himself. And, and uh, just said that, uh, and, and so far, a lot of this has just gone to, to the point of, well, everybody has just agreed to disagree. And so uh, this is where Elihu, a very young man, uh, gets to speak up. And so uh, this is where we start. So these three men stopped answering Joe because uh, he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakel, the Buzite of the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with the three uh, friends because they had found no way to refute Job and yet had condemned him. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw uh, the three men had nothing, to say, uh, nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. So Elihu, son of Barakel, uh, the Buzite, uh, said, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. Um, I thought age should speak, advanced years should re uh, teach wisdom, but um, it is the spirit, but it is the spirit in a person, the, breathe, uh, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the age who understand what is right. And then he continues to go on and defend God. So uh, if you guys, uh, on your own, kind of read uh, into that a little further. Um, but you see that, that Elihu then goes on not to defend Job, not to defend the older, but to defend God. He doesn't even want to defend himself, but instead God. And so we see that, that wisdom kind of takes over in Elihu's life. We see that uh, because of the close relationship that he has with God, um, 
that he, he becomes angry at the fact that anybody would even... Um, that anybody would even fathom not first justifying God rather than themselves. And so um, we, we see that right off the bat, with respect, he waits. He waits for everybody that is older than he to speak, all the old, wiser um, than he uh, people that he is with. Um, he wants to give them the floor first. And so wisdom already tells him that, yes, I should wait my turn just out of respect. I should uh, be, you know, coming in a spirit of humility. You know, I, I already know the right answer because the spirit that lives within me tells me that this is the right answer. God is, has nothing to do with this. Instead, sin is what is playing a role in the downfall and, and the misfortune of Job. And so we continue to see the Bible backs this up, as a matter of fact. Um, so <clears throat> like in Proverbs 22, uh, we see <clears throat> the folly uh, is bound up uh, in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Um, Proverbs 20, um, uh, 29, the glory of young men is their strength, gray hair, the splendor of the old. And then we even see in the New Testament where Jesus comes face to face with a rich young ruler, a very rich man uh, that sees Jesus. He, he's heard of the miracles that Jesus has, has done, um, and he even claims to have been able to follow the Ten Commandments. So we see that at some point in his life that there was some sort of teaching about the Ten Commandments, the teaching and the law of Moses that, that, that go in, into this young man's life, enough so that he claims to have kept the Ten Commandments since he was young. And we'll, we'll take a man at his word and we'll, we'll believe that he said, that he, that he did what he said. And, and so um, Jesus goes on to tell him, you know, then the only thing left for you to do is to go and sell everything and give it to the poor and then come follow me. But as you guys may know, the historical account of the rich man, the rich young ruler, he turns away sad. Not just turns away, but the Bible tells us very clearly that he turns away sad, upset, that he would have to give up everything, all of his wealth, all of his riches, everything that he owns, uh, just to be able to follow Jesus and have nothing. He doesn't see the blessing that comes along with it. You know, much like um, some of the older uh, people that were, that were with Job, Job's friends, we see that they didn't quite understand that God wasn't to blame for the misfortune. Just like God, you know, isn't, uh, isn't to blame for this rich young man to turn away sad. No, wisdom, all right, all right, hadn't been really stirred into the heart of this young man. Well, we don't know what happened to this young man later on in life. Maybe he grew wiser uh, with age, all right? Now, I'm not saying old people are crazy or dumb or anything like that. What I am saying is wisdom, all right, can start off at a young age, all right? Um, for myself, I can't really say that. I didn't, <laughs> didn't really grow wise until I was much older in life and, and really cling on uh, to, to uh, the urgency of the gospel or even um, the, the, just the magnitude uh, that, that I hold God to now. Like, a lot of that just didn't click in, you know, as, a young, as, as, as I was older. Um, but, but we see that if we discipline ourselves from a young age, all right, that is where wisdom starts to grow just like as we get older, all right, I know that um, as I've gotten older, I've enjoyed to get into my Bible. Not, not one of those deals where, you know, I just woke up one day and bam, like I just, whoa, you know, the Holy Spirit is strong today, all right? No, this was one of those things where it took discipline. It took a lot of time, me having to force myself to get up earlier to, to grow a love for, for, for Jesus Christ. It, in the same way, for those of you guys that are married, all right, I am not, all right, just wisdom tells me I shouldn't do that just yet, sorry ladies, all right, but 
For those of you guys that are married, you know that being married takes work. In the same way, your relationship with Jesus Christ, Logan, you're fixing to find this out, all right? In the same way, your relationship with Jesus Christ is gonna take work on your end, all right? You're gonna have to push yourself to get up earlier. There's gonna be times that you're gonna be discouraged and despaired. You're gonna have to encourage yourself to cling closer to God. Because oftentimes we wanna grow further away. I know from personal experience, anytime something had come up in my life, I wanted to get further away. And so when I, sit, when I talk about Elihu, Elihu, all right, for the most part, we see in this, in this passage of scripture, has it right, all right? He has clung on to God. He has clung close to God. He has built a relationship that is strong in God, and he did this from a young age. So it doesn't matter if we're young or old, all right? That doesn't, it's, that, it doesn't, I've seen very old men have very poor relationships with Jesus Christ, the same as I've seen very young men have poor relationship with Jesus Christ. I've also seen very young men have great relationships with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I went to college with, with a friend uh, that, was, that wasn't even 21 yet, and he'd already been the senior pastor of a church since he was a, a sophomore or a junior in high school. All right, this, we, we see that, that wisdom all right, is, 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 is given in discipline. All right? God doesn't have to do all the work. He shouldn't have to do all the work, just the same way as our, as our wives shouldn't do all the work whenever we're married. Or husbands, you shouldn't have to do all the work when you're married. You should strive to seek after your wife just as you strive to seek after Jesus Christ on a daily basis. That is how you grow in wisdom and knowledge, is to love Jesus Christ every day, to wake up and make it a point to love Jesus Christ every day. If you do that, you can start to love people better. You can start to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ better, the same way Elihu already had. And so at this point, oh, I guess I will pray and bring on the next person. Oh, Mr. Caden. So I hope that helps. I don't know if it does or not, but, and I don't even know if it made sense. I just kind of came up with it pretty recently. So dear Heavenly Father, oh, I'll admit it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for allowing just just to come together, Lord, just to be able to brag on you, Lord. Again, I thank you uh, just for sending uh, Jesus Christ to die on a cross, Lord, just for um, uh, just, just to have a relationship with us, Lord. And I, I, again, I pray and thank you, Lord, just uh, for what that means for our lives, Lord. Just a, an eternity, Lord, um, uh, not separated from you, Lord. Again, I thank you, Lord, just uh, that we are able to um, also live in a, in a place, Lord, where we can freely proclaim your name, Lord, and just uh, to, to brag on you, Lord. Again, I thank you for all that you do, Lord, even when we don't deserve it. I pray all these things in your most precious name. Amen. Hello, I'm Caden. Um, tonight, I want to share a devotional um, that a friend had sent me, and I thought it was really cool, and so I just wanted to share it because it encouraged me a lot. And uh, the verse is just a small verse. It's uh, 2 Samuel 23. Um, there was also Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabazil, Kabizil. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. And so um, I'm not just going to read the devotional. It's called Stalk or Be Stalked. Scripture does not explain what Benaniah was doing or where he was going when he crossed paths with the lion. 
We don't know the time or the day of, we don't know the time of day or his frame of mind, but scripture does reveal his reaction, and it was a gussy one. Put yourself in Ben and I's snowshoes. Your vision is obscured by falling snow and frozen breath. Out of the corner of your eye, you detect movement. Pupils dilate, muscles flex, adrenaline rushes. It's a prowling lion stalking its prey, which is you. In the wild, man versus lion scripts the same way every time. Man runs, lion chases, king of beasts eats manwich for lunch. But Ben and I flips the script. That's what courage does. I don't know if it was the look in his eye or the spear in his hand, but the lion turned tail and Ben and I gives chase. He tracks paw prints in the freshly fallen snow, finally coming to the place to the, the place where the ground was, has given way beneath the lion's 500-pound frame. Yellow eyes glare back, out of, glare back from him out of the pit. Ben and I takes a leap, disappearing into the darkness. A deafening roar echoes off the walls of the carnivorous pit, followed by a blood-curdling battle cry. Then silence, just dead silence. What has happened? Who has won? At last, a human form reaches up and climbs out of the pit. Drops of blood color the snow crimson. Claw marks crisscross Ben and I's spear arm. Against all odds, the valiant warrior from Cabezil has earned an epic victory. In every dream journey, there comes a moment when you have to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. You have to go after a dream that is destined to fall without divine intervention. You have to go big or go home. You have to take the road less traveled or settle for status quo. You have to bite the bullet or turn back on your dreams. If you find yourself in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, you've got a decision to make, a decision that will determine your destiny. You could run away from what you were afraid of, but you'll be running the rest of your life. Or you can face your fears, taking a flying leap of faith and chase the lion. What is your lion? What are you going to do with it? And um, a quick little thing that just hit me um, was where it says, you have to take the road less traveled or settle for the status quo. That reminds me a lot of, since we're here to brag about Jesus, that reminds me a lot about what Jesus did is he took the road less traveled, which was going against the world and um, he came not, he came with a sword to cut down the lies um, that we tell ourselves and the lies that the enemy tells us and that sin tells us to fight for truth and to fight for um, the love of God that he wanted for us in the beginning. And so um, I guess that's it. Thank you. All right, don't go anywhere. I've got something I'm excited to share, so you've made it this long, hang tight with us. So we're gonna be in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and the reason why I'm doing this is because this is what I'm going to teach tomorrow at Team Kids. So if you're going to be at Team Kids tomorrow, you will get a child's version of this. So you get to play some background music, Robin. All right, so this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Kind of a little bit of background on what's going on here is um, the people have rejected God as their king and now they um, have chosen Saul to be king. So Saul's the king. Uh, he's been anointed king over all of Israel and uh, God kind of sends him out on one of his first missions. So God sends Saul out and he tells them that he's going to destroy um, all the people of Amalek or the Amalekites. So these are the people that right after they got out of Egypt, they were going through the Exodus. Um, these people wouldn't let them pass through their land safely. And now God is going to destroy these people because they um, rejected his people. And so um, he says, Saul, here's what you're going to do. You are going to go to the Amalekites and you are going to wipe them out. So that's the, the clear instruction. It's, it's the word of the Lord. And he gives them very specific instructions. And that's what he does in verses 1 through 3. And so he says, you are going to take out all the, the women, the children, um, the oxen, the sheep, the camels, the donkeys, the men. You're just going to destroy the place and don't take anything, right? So very clear word from the Lord. And it looks like Saul's going to do really good. So he gets this army of over 200,000 men, right? They all strap on their sword. They go out and they start 
to do what God has said. So they start to take down the men, the women, the children. Um, but then we, we find out in, in verses 9 um, and 10 that Saul decides that he has a better plan. All right? And so here's the better plan. I'm going to spare their king, so kind of as a trophy, and then I'm going to keep the best of the livestock, so the, the camels and the sheep and the goats and everything. We're, we'll get rid of all the trash that nobody wants, but we're going to keep the best of them. All right, so that's Saul's plan. And so Saul kind of makes an audible and he, he does his plan. And then um, in verses 10 through 12, God comes to Samuel, which is the prophet in that day, and um, basically says, hey, Saul is, um, and he's, he's already messing up. He's already um, going, going against me and he's not listening to my word. Saul's already rejected me. Um, and Samuel, he's a righteous man and he's filled with the righteous anger and he's gonna go talk to Saul. All right, so that's kind of the context of the story. And so um, Samuel is on his way to talk to Saul and verse 13 through 15 is what we're gonna read. And this is what happens when um, Samuel and Saul come together. So verse 13 says, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ear? and the lowing of oxen that I hear. And Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites. He's pointing at his soldiers. They brought them from the Amalekites and the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen and we're gonna sacrifice them to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. All right? So um, you've got Saul who is the chosen king of Israel, right? God's holy people. And right now, he doesn't look like the king of Israel at all. He looks like the king of excuses, all right? You, ever, you know people like that? Like, they've just got an answer for everything, and, and they, they don't really want to own up to their own sin. Um, that, that's what we see here with King Saul. He's got this big, ugly, obvious sin. He has rejected God's word and hadn't obeyed God, and he's trying to minimize it, right? He's trying to play it off like his disobedience and his rejecting or going against God is not a big deal at all. He's trying to make it tiny or trivial. And so what I wanna talk about a little bit today is what, what does that look like when people do that? When they try to minimize their sin or excuse it or make it a, a small thing. Um, and I, I think it would be really good for us all to pay attention because I think this is rampant in our world today. Um, so like I see it in, in politics, um, I see it in presidents, um, I, I see it in Hollywood, um, I see it in my own home with my own children. Like this is everywhere and I think if we're all honest and we look deep enough, we're gonna see it in us. Um, there, a lot of times we're prone to try to diminish our sins so we don't feel so bad about it. And that's what King Saul does here. So um, that's the question we're trying to answer. How do people make light of their sin and um, Let's see what the, some three things that Saul does. So number one in verse 13, um, if you're gonna make light of your sin, you can lie about it or deny it ever happened. So that's the first thing that Saul does. So Samuel walks up and uh, Saul's got this pleasant demeanor. Oh, great to see, blessed be you. Yeah, Samuel, you, you holy guy of God. He's acting all um, cordial to him. And he says, hey, I, I did that thing that God asked me to do, right? I, I, I killed the Amalekites, don't worry about that. And so the first thing he does is he completely lies about it. And um, Samuel calls him out on it. He says, okay, if, if you did what God says, then why do I hear all these livestock? You know, like you, you were supposed to wipe them all out and I hear sheep and I see sheep. And so he, he kind of calls him on his lie. And so the, the first thing that I see, that I see here is, um, or one of the things I see here is, Partial obedience is not obedience at all, right? And any good parent will tell you that, right? So like um, if uh, your kid and your mom and dad says, hey, go clean your room, and then they come in an hour later and there's like this perfect line down your room, so like half of it's vacuumed and you know your bed's made on this side, and then over on the other side, it looks like a tornado came through, you know what I mean? So like there's dirty underwear and dirty socks and half-eaten pizza. So your mom and dad aren't going to say, you know what? You obeyed me, so I'm giving you a raise in your allowance, right? You, you did such a, an excellent job. You know, they're not gonna say that. They're gonna be ticked that you didn't do what they said, right? Half, half doing half away thing or halfway obedience is not obedience at all, it's disobedience. And um, that, that's what we see here with Saul. 
he, um, he only did part of the job and then he audibled and did it his way. And so he is being disobedient to the Lord. And then on top of that, he tried to lie about it. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, Saul initially tries to cover it up. He pretends like he did the thing when he didn't do it at all. All right, so that, that's one way we can try to cover up our sin. Uh, the second thing, number two, he blames someone else, right? So, okay, Samuel, you're right. Uh, man, you got us. There was wrong done here. And it's, you see all these soldiers here? They're, they're really hard to, to keep under control. They did it, right? So they, these, these guys saw the spoil and they couldn't help themselves, Samuel. So they just grabbed all the best of the stuff and shame on them for not obeying the word of the Lord, right? So that, that's the second thing this king tries to do. He comes up with this excuse. He, he shoves the blame on someone else, all right? Now, this is not a too, new tactic at all for dealing with sin, right? Like blaming others for our sin goes all the way back to sin, like to the very first sin, right? In, in the garden, that's what happens with Adam and Eve, you know? Like, so Adam's like, hey, this, this girl you gave me, it's, it's her fault. And she's like, uh-uh, it's the snake's fault, right? So like, we're all trying to roll the guilt and the shame off of us onto someone else. And that's what Saul does here. He's trying to um, push it off on his soldiers. And so um, anything to, to keep um, sin and its ugly consequences off of us, right? And so that's what we see um, Saul doing. He, he, he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own ugly hearts and actions. So he lies about it, and when that doesn't work, he tries to push it on someone else, all right? The, neither of those worked, right? Um, Samuel is not buying any of it or falling in for it. And, and basically, he, at one point, he actually, in the next verse, in 16, he tells him to shut up. He says, stop talking, all right? He's like, this is not going anywhere good. Let me tell you what your heart's intentions were because you won't be honest. And he actually tells him what his real intentions are. But anyways, um, there's one third thing that, that Saul's going to try because he doesn't want to have to deal with the consequences of his sin. So the, the last thing that he tries to do is he tries to justify it, right? So yes, I, I can't lie about it. It's obvious. Um, no, I can't say my troops made me do it. So instead, I'm going to come up with this reason why it was okay for me to do it, right? So that's the last thing that he does is he tries to justify his sin, um, to make it okay. So basically, um, he's gotta come up with a reason why it was okay to disobey God, right? Just, do you understand how stupid that is? Like, just when it comes out of my mouth, right? Like, so we've got this eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, perfectly holy God, and you, you've gotta come up with a reason why your plan's better than his. Like, it just sounds stupid, right, saying it out loud, but that's what justifying sin is. It's saying, okay, God, I know that, that you know everything, you've got it all figured out and you have your plan, but I've got some different information, right? And so I've got a reason why my way is better. That's what justifying sin is. And so that's, that's what Saul does. He says, okay, well, God's plan had us getting rid of all these animals. We're gonna sacrifice them to God. Aren't we, aren't we thoughtful to give God that gift? And then, and then Samuel responds, he, he doesn't want your gifts. He wants your obedience. That's, he wants your heart. That's what he wants. He's after your heart. He doesn't care what you, what you give him. The, all of it's his anyways, okay? You, your, your, your motives were sinful. You pounced on that spoil is what um, Samuel says. And so I, I think we need to look at those three things so, because in, in my own life, I've done the same three things, right? I, there's times I've lied about my sin to others and to myself, right? Like I've, I've tried to pretend it's a smaller deal by being deceptive. Um, there, there's times when I've tried to roll it off on other people. Man, I'm guilty about doing that to my kids, right? When my sin of anger flares up, well, if they wouldn't, you know, like I'm pointing fingers, I'm shifting blame, well, if those people would, it's those sinners' faults, right? Like anything for it not to be my sin and my problem, that's wrong. I'm responsible for it. And, and, then, and then the last thing is justify. We, we, we see this all the time. And in, in the same way, we'll, we'll, we'll think of every reason why our sin was okay. And, and the truth is it's not. And so um, what, what I kind of want to end with is some good news, so, which we can be thankful for. Um, that there, there, we don't deal with sin by lying about it. We don't deal with it by pushing it off on other people. And we don't 
deal with it by justifying it ourselves. But thankfully, thank God, there is a way that we can deal with sin, all right? And, and it's, it's the person of Jesus, right? So that, that's, that's what we need to know is there's, there's really two things we need to do when it comes time to deal with sin. We need to, number one, take it seriously, and then number two, take it to Jesus. So those are two things that we should do every time we see sin in our life. So number one, take it seriously. What I mean by that is we need to realize that our sin is a big deal, right? So I shouldn't be trying to di diminish it, like and call it something small or act like it's not this, this huge problem. I should want to see it rightly, right? So, so every lustful thought, I shouldn't just say, oh, that was just an innocent glance. I should call it adultery because that's what Jesus calls it, right? Or every anger, angry and bitter thing that's coming out of me, I shouldn't just say, oh, I was just a little frustrated. I should call it murder because that's what Jesus calls it. So I should see my sin for what it really is and take it seriously. And why we need to take sin seriously is because Romans, um, Romans 5 tells us that our sin makes us the enemy of a holy God. Like, like he is against us and his wrath is coming for us. And then Romans 6 tells us that death is coming for those in sin. The wages of sin is death. And so like, that's pretty serious stuff to have God as your enemy and to have death coming for you, the wrath of God and death, okay? So this is not small stuff. We need to aim to see our sin rightly. Um, we're, we're dirty people in need of cleansing and we're broken people in need of fixing. And, and we need to realize that, all right? So once we take our sin seriously and we see how, how broken and bad it is, we need to take it to Jesus. And, and that's the, the next step. And so when, when you see how broken and bad you are, you, you see your need for a savior, right? When you see your sin clearly, you see your need for a savior clearly. And then we, we understand that we need someone who's altogether different than us to come deal with our problem, right? I, I don't need another broken person like Logan or Robin or Joe or my kids or my wife. I don't need another broken person to deal with my sin. I need someone who's sinless. I need someone who's holy. I need someone who's altogether different, all right? I need God. And that's who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh who steps down and he comes and does everything that I can't do. Okay, he obeys God the Father perfectly. He lives a sinless life. He's holy, he's righteous. He's everything that I'm not and I can't be because of my problem of sin. And so Jesus comes and then he, he does this amazing thing where he says, I'll deal with your two biggest problems, sin and death. And, and he does that with his death on the cross and with his resurrection, right? That, that, that's where Jesus um, deals with our two biggest problems. That's, that's, a, that's the, the good news of the gospel. He willingly goes to the cross and he says, you give me all that broken, bad position of yours. You give me your enmity with God. You give me your sin. You trust in my plan. Put it on me. And then Jesus bears my sin, my shame, my guilt. And, and when he takes that on himself, he also takes my, my, my consequence, which is death. He takes my wages. And so he dies the death that I deserve. And he makes a way for me to, to be friends with God again because he removes all my guilt. He cleans me up. He sets me free. And so that's what you do with your sin. You take it seriously and you take it to Jesus. And, and so the last thing I would say is, how can we be sure that it works? All right, so here, here's how we can be sure. Three days after he died, he rose, right? He, he raises a newness of life and he's, he's victorious and triumphant over sin and death. And he's, he ra he's raised with an eternal new resurrection body and my sin has forever been dealt with and defeated. And now I get to, excuse me, now I get to live life as a friend of God. I mean, that is good news. And so I, I, I want to just kind of challenge you guys. If, if you have sin in your life, don't, don't diminish it, right? It like, just, just think about when you see that in others. Isn't that annoying? Like, it's like, own up to, to the brokenness. Own up to what you've done. Do that in yourself, too. Like, own up that there's a serious problem here. Take your sin seriously. Take it to Jesus. And then enjoy friendship with God. And that, that is the good news of the gospel. That is what we ought to do. And I've got to do it, too. Like, it, this is for people who've never done it. And this is for people who have been saved for years. We just got to do that every day. Every time we see sin rear its ugly head, head take it serious take it to Christ and enjoy the right relationship that he purchased with his life, all right? Let me pray for us and are you gonna come to dismiss us or do you just want, I can dismiss us? All right, let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for all the truth that has been spoken here tonight. Um, do what only you can do. God, let it be real 
to us. Let it sink into our heart as real treasure. Let it bear fruit and come out in all sorts of amazing ways. I pray that these aren't just words to me. God, don't let me just stand up here and say this. Let me live it. I pray like, like Logan said, it would be evident in my life that it would come out as fruit. Um, I, don't, I don't want to minimize or diminish my sin. I wanna take it seriously and I wanna take it to Jesus. Help us to do that, God. Stir us up in real, genuine faith towards you. I pray for those who are watching and those who will watch later. I pray that you would grip them with truth tonight, God. Maybe even use a video for someone's salvation. Uh, that's, that's not too small for you, God. You can do anything you want. So be gracious, open people's eyes to their seriousness of sin and open people's eyes to Christ and you be glorified today. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for watching.